This is Steve Hanseritas, Local Ministry Director for WMCA The Mission. We're blessed to help unite and uplift the faithful of the Tri-State area this Christmas with a season of blessings, inspirational messages from pastors across our listening area. Coming up is Pastor Chris Gardner of Metropolitan Baptist Church in Brooklyn. For service times, visit the church's website, metbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris. Heavenly Father, this is again the privilege that we have to be able to share with people any place that you are God. We live in a culture that says that, that God is dead. If God is dead, then this world would be gone. You hold it together. You are the God of the universe that by your very word created all of this. And by your sustaining power, you hold it in place. And yet we, in our humanness, we, we think that somehow we are God, that we don't need you. But because of Jesus Christ, because he has come into this world, we are now made aware of the fact that there is a God, a God who not only created the universe, but desires to have a relationship with us. And so we ask you to speak to our hearts today that we might come to know you and in knowing you begin to live eternally, even in this present world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas has many different meanings to different folks. I mean, certainly Christmas was and is for Jewish believers and for those who love the Old Testament, a fulfillment of what God had promised. Yet, we cannot remain focused on what God did by sending Jesus Christ to fulfill the Old Testament. We need to understand that Christmas is a revelation of incredible truths surrounding who God is and what the angels meant when they proclaimed that a Savior has been born in Bethlehem. Today, we'll see how these few verses in Titus 3 tell us what Christmas really is about. As we look at those verses, notice how the perfect plan of God through Jesus Christ brings salvation to its ultimate end in the gift of eternal life. See, God from all of eternity had planned to send Jesus Christ into this world that he might bring this concept that we call salvation, to give eternal life to us as human beings. But eternal life, what's that mean? Some people think it means going to a place called heaven. For others, it's a sort of nirvana concept. The scripture portrays eternal life as a whole lot more. The Gospel of John declares that we have eternal life. That is not just something in the future, but there are parts of eternal life that are true for us, even now on earth. Notice first, then, how Christmas promises justification by faith. Whoa, justification. Sounds like a big theological term, but it really has a simple meaning. It means that God forgives our sins and wipes away the record of those sins completely, totally, forever. And that's what Titus 3 tells us. God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, justified by his grace. You hear that word grace? Uh, That's not someone's name. When I was in high school, Judy Collins recorded the song, Amazing Grace. People kept calling the radio stations asking, who's this Grace? Well, they thought it was someone named Grace. But let's find out who Grace is. We do that as we notice that Christmas promises in justification our acceptance in Christ. Someone once said, Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, perhaps they got that idea from verse 6 of Titus 3. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The reality is, grace is a person. That person is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who left heaven, humbled himself to become a human being so that we might be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with the eternal God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the very fact that this child was born in a manger shouts from the eternal heavens, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, no one passes into heaven by their own ability. Have you ever given a gift to people who didn't deserve it? Oh, maybe it was simply a candy bar to a spoiled child or a bonus to an undeserving employee or a gift card to a nasty relative. Well, that's an act of kindness, but it really isn't grace. Each of those individuals had a relationship with you, and though you may not have liked them, you knew you had to give it to them or face trouble down the road. What God did in sending Jesus Christ was to extend out the greatest gift of all to people who were his enemies. We deserve damnation. The Bible calls it hell. But out of his goodness and loving kindness, God saved us. He pulled us out of that lake of fire simply and totally as a result of his own choice, his own will. He accepts us, not based on even one thing that we've ever done. He accepts us because Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could become heirs of God. I also want you to notice that Christmas promises in justification our adoption in Christ. Justification means that God accepts us into his presence because of what Jesus Christ has done in his death and resurrection. But it means even more than that. You see, a teacher might accept a student into the classroom because the principal tells her to, but that doesn't mean she has to like it. Or a parent may tell their child to invite another child to the birthday party, even if they're not best friends. But listen to what God did when he accepted us based on Christ's death and resurrection. We read it in another biblical book, the book of Romans. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The theologian J.I. Packer wrote, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I often wonder how it can be that those who claim to be Christians can whine and complain so much. They behave as if they were slaves, 
betrayed and forgotten. When in reality, if they are justified, they are children of the king. In the book of Colossians, we are told that we reign with Christ in the heavenlies. In Revelation, John writes that we are kingdom and priests to our God. And the writer of Hebrews, he declares that we are made brothers of Jesus Christ. Matthew even ends the gospel account telling us that Jesus Christ has all authority, and he gives that authority to us, all because God has adopted us as sons in his eternal family. We don't deserve one thing, but we're accepted in the beloved Christ. We're adopted by our Heavenly Father, and that is the grace of justification. Grace God's riches at Christ's expense, if you want to use that terminology. Grace means God has done everything and we nothing. Grace of justification, a declaration by God that everything in our lives that we have ever done in rebellion against God for our own gratification, all of that is forever removed. But justification... It's just the beginning of a new relationship with God. You see, this relationship John calls being born again, and Peter calls being born anew. But Christmas, that's not just about justification. You see, Christmas promises sanctification by faith as well. There we go again. Sanctification, another large word that has a simple meaning. It means that those who have been adopted into God's family begin to model the traits of that family. Listen again to Titus 3. It says, He saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We just spoke about that. But it goes on. It says, The saying is trustworthy, And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I'm going to look at it this way. When an infant is born, one of the first things that people try to do is they try to figure out which parent the baby looks like the most. Does it look like mom? Does it look like dad? Does it look like grandpa? Does the baby look more like this person or that person? Well, when a person is born again, they should begin to look a lot like their heavenly father and their elder brother, Jesus Christ. And so as we contemplate this concept of sanctification, notice that Christmas promises in our sanctification our accomplishments in the Spirit. If Jesus came only to forgive sins, then we would go to heaven, but we would still be sinners at our core, at the center of our being. Heaven would be filled then with a bunch of devils. But Jesus came not only to forgive our sins, but to defeat the power of sin over you, over me. In Romans 8, we find this contrast. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You'll live, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Ah, there's so many world religions that try to tell you how to be a good person 
and that being a good person is necessary to get to heaven or nirvana or whatever the goal is that that religion says will happen to you when you die. The Bible says all of that's a lie. Did you know that it doesn't take one good thing to get you into heaven? Not one. (laughs) It actually requires every single thing you do has to be perfect. From the moment that you were born until the day that you die, you can't sin, not even once. You can't make a mistake. You can't break any of God's commandments and still go to heaven. Not even once. Think about that, my friends. What in the world are we supposed to do? None of us can say that we live even for one day without any brokenness in us, without anything that we've done or thought or said that wasn't wrong in some way. I mean, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You know how you've treated your wife or your husband. You know the things that you've thought or the things that you've said. And you know if you've got kids, I mean, how in the world do you go through a day without getting upset at your kids, without screaming at your kids, or or doing something that's upsetting to them? And do you live in New York City or anywhere in the environment, and you drive, and you tell me that you can go every place and never once try to cut somebody off, honk your horn, or do something to say, I want my way, get out of my way. Yes, all of us, we're all doing wrong all the time towards one another, but especially towards God. And that's why Jesus is the one way for anyone to have eternal life. He is the only person who did not sin, that is, did not do one thing that was contrary to God's way, not even once. We must believe that Jesus then died for our sins, that God punished him in our place, and that God then accepts Jesus' perfection and he places Jesus' perfection on our slate. What Jesus did made it possible for the Holy Spirit to regenerate and renew us, that is, to give us spiritual life and that new heart that can learn to love God. And over the course of our life as a Christian, the Holy Spirit works in us to teach us to live like our eternal brother, Jesus Christ, so that we can imitate our Father even as Jesus did. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God. And he did that perfectly. Everything that he said Everything that he thought and everything that he did perfectly imitated his father. Matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, Every word that I speak, I've heard my father speak. And everything that I do, I've seen my father do. Oh, that we could be like that. But we can. By the power of God's Spirit in us, as we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can begin to imitate our Father. In Ephesians 2.10, we read that when we are saved, that is, when we're born again by this grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can now begin to do the good works that God prepared for us to do before the world began. 
In other words, by faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes like chemotherapy. He begins to attack the sin cells in our spiritual DNA to turn us from being sin sick to becoming spiritually healthy. But I also want you to notice that Christmas promises in this sanctification our assurance by the Spirit. See, the Bible tells us that there is only one sure way of knowing that we are saved and going to heaven. It's not by winning the lottery or even donating your winnings to the church. It's not becoming a church member or getting baptized. It's not by being as good as Mother Teresa. The answer is found in Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Only the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts can give us assurance that we're children of God. While we cannot see the Holy Spirit or even feel him, we can see and know the effects that he has in us. I'm thinking about it. Once chemotherapy is injected into someone's veins, you can't see it anymore. But you know that it's there. Why? Because the cancer begins to disappear. We can know that the Holy Spirit is in us when we realize that our desires are changing. Remember how much fun it was to go out and party with your friends before you became a Christian? And then when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, it just wasn't as much fun anymore. Lots of things that you did in the past hardly ever bothered your conscience. But then by becoming a Christian, they begin to bother you enough that you stop doing them. Not because you didn't want fun in your life, not because you didn't want excitement in your life, but because you suddenly realized that those things that you used to think were fun were really harmful. They really weren't good for you. And so the Holy Spirit has begun to change the way that you look at life. The things that you once thought were exciting, those things are now being changed. And the things that bored you before, things like reading the Bible or praying, going to church, talking to people about your faith, now you want to do those things. And that is the Holy Spirit at work in you, giving you the assurance of his presence. There's one thing that happens when you become a Christian. Instead of dreading death and wanting to cling to this life, you begin to think about heaven and wanting to go there. Before becoming a Christian, Christmas meant gifts under the Christmas tree. After becoming a believer, Christmas promises glorification by faith, a promise of going to heaven. What is glorification? Well, it comes from the word glory. And what is glory? Glory is that which shines forth, particularly from God, but then from those who, like God, begin to live his way. Heaven and hell become real places to us as Christians, real life goals. But it's not just going to heaven to escape hell. It's going to heaven to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. You see, look at Romans eight seventeen. It says, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul's not saying that we must suffer the way Jesus did by being beaten, having a crown of thorns on our head, or being crucified. 
What he means is that Christians will suffer because the world hates Jesus and they hate the truth. But if we're willing to suffer ridicule for the sake of Jesus, it means that we belong to him and he will bring us into his heavenly kingdom. So notice that Christmas promises in our glorification an anticipation of heaven. One term that's often misunderstood in the Bible is the word hope. We see that word in Titus 3. Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I have this real problem believing that someone's a Christian who doesn't want to go to heaven right now. My wife and I took a trip last year to go on a cruise to the Bahamas. It sound, sounded like a lot of fun, and, and it, it really was. But my hope that Jesus Christ would come back didn't take a shelf because we were heading to the Bahamas. Why? Because heaven would be so much greater than a trip to the Bahamas. Are they not even comparable? Yet still I hear people saying, well, I hope Jesus waits until I see my grandkids or until I get to go to Italy. And all the way throughout the New Testament, the biblical writers are holding out this promise of eternal life like a carrot before a bunny, like a rabbit before the greyhounds. I'm not talking about those baby Christians who want to go to heaven to escape their poor life here on earth. No, I am talking about mature Christians who have their eyes on the celestial city, and no matter what happens to them in this world, it cannot shake them because they have absolute trust that God has a home for them beyond the river. But also notice that Christmas promises in our glorification are attainment of heaven. It's not just the anticipation of heaven, for our relationship with Jesus Christ brings us a taste of heaven here on earth. In giving us this taste, God has provided for us the motive for living and for loving. It is after promising the Romans the justifying and sanctifying work of God through faith in Jesus Christ and the receiving of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul culminates his teaching with this promise of glorification mentioned in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. Do you know what that means? Back when God created Adam and Eve, he made them to bear his glory in this world. And when they rebelled against God and they sinned, the glory of God faded from humanity. Jesus came and brought the glory of God back. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is changing us from glory to glory. Glorification, then, is what happens when we reflect the glory of God perfectly, with no shadow of turning, no dark stains of sin. We receive that taste each time the Holy Spirit kills off another spiritual tumor in us. We taste the joy of the Lord in worship, and we find ourselves loving our neighbor that we once despised. Most of all, the privilege of leading someone to Christ. That's a foretaste of heaven. That's the reality of Christmas. Justification, sanctification, glorification. God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. This special Christmas message was sponsored by Metropolitan Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York. For service times, visit the church's website, metbaptist.com. Wishing you all a blessed and joyous Christmas and New Year from all of us at AM 570 The Mission, WMCA. This is Steve Hansaridis.